0: Hi everybody, Mike Wardrock from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that would change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. Faith for Exiles. Uh, I spent most of the last dozen years working in some kind of ministry with a generation that is not my own. So a large portion of that was in youth ministry. And now, I mean, you know, ostensibly I lead a multi-generational church, but you're mostly young adults. So a lot of young adult type ministry, which is great. It is great. It is great. It's even great when the interns try and turn on your dishwasher and they don't know how to plumb in the water or how to unwrap the tablet, so it it goes all over the floor and doesn't wash any dishes. It's even great when the interns... Knock knock some water over and it goes into your wife's computer. It's even great when the interns leave an esky full of ice on the carpet with the plug out so it melts. Look, moral of the story, interns aren't allowed to use water anymore in any facet of life. But it's always great. It's it's always great. What I have noticed, though, is that every now and then one of my peers, somebody my age, will come up to me and say, how do you not, now, if you're younger than me, you just got to bear with me on this one. People who are my age will go, how, how do you manage to keep up with the same ideas that, that teenagers and young adults are keeping up with? I'm like, oh, I definitely don't. <laughs> what I do is I listen to what they're saying. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, Reddit, totally. And I Google, hey, Siri, what's Reddit? And, you know, and she'll probably tell me. It's, it's just a simple matter of research. Either you research so you can communicate, or you don't research and you can't Reach people, but this this is is one of the things that sort of marks successful communication between generations. If you can't reach people, you can't communicate to them. You can't connect with them. I had a fascinating moment on Monday. I was thinking and, and, and mulling over about this message in my mind, and it was you know, Adela- what was it, Adelaide Cup Day on Monday, the most useless of all public holidays. Can we just call it International Women's Day as the public holiday instead? Like that's just all in favour. Good, it's happening. Um, Alley Cup Day. We were up at Woodside. We were going to Melba's, you know, the cheese factory out there. It's great. And Melba's is parked on a bit of a, a, a slope, and so I was backing out of a side car park. Somebody's coming in next to me, and there's the angle. So I'm like, eh, it's a little bit dicey. So the car next to me starts to pull up, and finally people start to pull out, and I back out, and I can sort of half see up, and I can see down fine. And so I start to pull out, and I'm I'm, I'm confident by this point. You, know, you all know what that's like. There's a point of no return when you're backing out. You're like, all right, this is either going to go well or it's not. So I'm most of the way out, and the guy from the car next to me stands on the corner of the road, and he's like... Now, I'm, I'm already on the road at this point, but he's very self-importantly, puts his hand up, and then gestures like, all right, you can go now. I would say it was a gentleman in his early 60s who could possibly be characterised in the baby boomer generation. And I immediately, while I was preparing for a sermon about bridging generational gaps in my mind, well, I was like, OK, boomer. Thanks, mate. Thanks, mate. Because I just, it's just so hard to stop yourself. It's so hard to stop yourself from coming up with these generalisations about the generations, right? And this is actually a huge problem, and it's something I want to address tonight. I want to cover sort of three different things, so I want to try and move pretty quickly. But I want to start by talking about why it's so important that we have close intergenerational connectedness. And I want to start by looking at some of the research that uh, happened in the Faithful Exiles book. So the book that we're going through at the moment is based on research of thousands and thousands of older teenagers and young adults across the globe, including Australia, to find out their habits and patterns and most of all, what makes them resilient. And we, there are these five different practices. The third, first one we looked at, you can go on our podcast and check them out, is intimacy with Jesus. The second is to be a culturally discerning disciple, what we call a culturally engaged leader. The third one, what we're hearing about tonight, is bridging generational gaps. Next week, I'm really excited. My friend, Reverend Dr. Tim Hine, is going to come and bring a word about faith at work. If you've ever wondered how to live out your faith effectively in your workplace, next week, don't miss it. And finally, the general, the cat five, Pastor Jen is going to come and preach about countercultural mission. I can't wait for that. But this week, week three, as we unpack the research, we see really clearly, and it kind of seems like the one that stands out as a slightly strange one, that you need to build strong relationships with people outside your generation in order to have a long lasting, resilient faith. I hear that and I go, I mean, that sounds nice, but really? One of the five key traits? that keeps people close to Jesus? Let's explore this for a bit. Because as we look at these, there are some stats around meaningful relationships that basically say this. The closer you are to Jesus, the more likely you are to have meaningful relationships with other people. And the more meaningful relationships you have with other people, the more likelier you are to have a strong relationship with Jesus. Here are four reasons this is important. Number one, we're in an epidemic of loneliness at the moment. I've talked about this heaps. The UK has a loneliness minister in their cabinet. That's a real thing. That's a real job somebody has, the loneliness minister. And right now in this epidemic of loneliness, the stats say that in Australia, this is based on the Barna research for this book, about the same amount of people feel deeply cared for as feel deeply lonely. One in three young adults feel deeply lonely. That's not good enough, is it? That's not what we stand for as a church here. Because we're all about people. It's one of our core values. We are all about people. So one of the reasons we're hesitant to shut down church, I know know some of our brothers and sisters have had to think about it and shut down church quickly, and I totally understand and respect that. One of the reasons we're hesitant to do it is because community matters. We are richer in community. Now, obviously, if an epidemic gets to a point that it is less healthy to gather, you don't gather. But at this point in time, we go as much as we can We want community to happen. And so that's why we're hesitant, because there is an epidemic of loneliness. And there are a large number of people that say, we don't have one or two close friends. And that's that's pretty tragic. That's pretty tragic. Here's the second thing. It's what uh, the Barna Group called digital strain. We're turning to technology uh, in order to manage our relationships instead of going face-to-face. Or as the Barna Group put it, to deal with the hard work of being a human being. So here's a few things we do. We break up via text message. I remember when that was like a huge faux pas. Now it's probably like the done thing. We just break up via text message. We fight over Facebook. And God help you if your phone rings. Because that's like the new social faux pas. Like, are they actually ringing me? Physically ringing me, like on on a... on on a home line back in the day? Disgusting. No, I'll let that go through to voicemail. That's fine, you know. or, Or we just vet these calls all the time. And or, even worse, we work in an organization where we're asked to ring somebody. And then we get that social anxiety of being the person who has to ring. Oh my gosh, just leave me on scene already. It's, you know, how bad can we get? Here's the third thing. There are a large amount of people questioning the meaning of life. Now, we all question the meaning of life. That's one of the reasons you're here. That's one of the reasons you've explored the path of Jesus. But what we've had lately is this large percentage of the population that have questioned the meaning of life without a moral or religious basis for it. And so they've questioned the meaning of life, and it's led them to a place where they've wondered, what's the point? Because there's a lack of purpose in that. If you question the meaning of life and you struggle to come up with meaning, that's a tough place. It's a dark place. And in extremely related news, one in three young adults in Australia has anxiety. Here's the fourth one, solo discipleship. This is like a trigger phrase for me. 41% of Christians say, I believe my spiritual life is entirely private. And 37% that they want to be discipled on their own. But in the Christian faith, friends, there's no such thing as solo discipleship. It doesn't work. We're discipled by others into Christ through the Spirit. Being discipled by yourself, if the narrative you've been telling yourself is, I'm a Christian, but I just don't hang out with other Christians. You're not a Christian. You're probably an egomaniac. Like, sorry, yeah, I say things like that sometimes. Welcome to Encounter Church. Try the free coffee. It's Look, it's, it's, not, it's not about trying to be offensive here. But our individualism in the West traps us so much that we put our ego in the way and say, well, I'm counselling myself, I'm discipling myself. Well, no, you're not. Because for starters, you swim in a culture that is telling you every day, buy an iPhone, go to McDonald's, drink that coconut water. But you don't realise, because the marketing's just tipping in your ears, popping up in your Instagram feed, all of that stuff. You are being discipled. The reason we come into church community is to intentionally be discipled. And so this is some of the stuff we've got to push against. But the problem is we don't want others to tell us how to live our lives. We don't want the boomers to micromanage us. We don't need the negativity of the Gen X. We don't need the entitlement of millennials. We can't even talk to Gen Zs because they're so obsessed with technology. We can't have anybody talking to us because everybody else is talking all the time about everything except ours. Welcome to the West. You know, we talk about, about social distancing. We, we've got that covered already. We've really got that covered already. But here's the thing, the prophet Joel, in the, in the language and the, and the verses that we heard today, gives us a vision of a different world. And this is part of the power of scripture and the power of prophecy. Let's jump into Joel chapter 2. And if you've got a Bible, open it up, read with me, because God will speak to you in powerful ways. Even if it's digital, I won't judge you. That's all right. I might, I might judge you a little. Joel 2. Joel chapter 2. Joel was a prophet in the Old Testament. We think he lived around 500 years uh, before the birth of Christ. And he spoke into a a prophetic space in which we believe a swarm of locusts was devouring Israel. There, There was a plague. Now, often when prophets use this language, it's figurative. You know, God is coming like a plague of locusts. In this case, we think there was an actual plague of locusts attacking the land. And what's more interesting in these powerful words is Joel emphasises that God is in the locust. He's driving the locust. The plague is coming through God, not against the will of God, which is a challenge. And so in the midst of this destruction, though, Joel offers this different future, one where the cycle of sin and destruction and repentance and restoration is phased out and renewed into something brand new. And Joel calls it the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. This is what he says. It's a vision for the future. He says this Blow the trumpet in Zion, verse 15. Declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, consecrate the assembly, bring together the elders, gather the children, those nursing at the breast, let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Now, what's interesting about this is the day of the Lord is something that is repeatedly called great and terrifying the great and terrifying day of the Lord. And Joel, in his language, makes sure that nobody gets to run away from this great and terrifying moment because often in language like this, when it says, let all Israel hear, what the writer really means is, let the men of a certain age of Israel hear and everyone else can kind of get the message through the grapevine. Joel doesn't do that. Let's hear what he says again. Bring together the elders. Okay, that's good. We expect that. Gather the children, Those nursing at the breast, like, oh, really, the babies can't even get away? No, they can't. What about people on their honeymoon? No, get them out of their honeymoon, get them here. They need to hear what's happening. Joel offers this inclusive call to arms for all of Israel. Why is he doing that? Well, let's go on to the part I want to see it with. Verses 28 to 29, you might have heard this before. In the last days, declares God, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female slaves in those days, I will pour out my spirit. It's all happening. This is the kingdom of God breaking in on earth and distinctions are being washed away. Old and young, rich and poor, male and female, slave and free, all is being washed away by the power of the spirit. And the use of language is so specific and so unusual for Old Testament prophecy. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. No gender will be placed beneath the other in the day of the Lord. When God comes with power to restore all things, your sons and your daughters will be speaking the word of the Lord. It's a good word. Even on the male and female slaves, no distinction in class, in wealth, in your demographic, will stop you from hearing the voice of God and speaking the word of God. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Let's pause there for a second. Because when I read the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, I think the vision I get is one where older people are venerated. They're revered, they're respected. Uh, Proverbs says, grey hair is a crown of splendor. It is is attained in the way of righteousness. That's what my beard's doing. It's getting real righteous on me at the moment and getting real splendid on me. And we see that honouring again here to a degree. But alongside it at the same time, younger people were lifted up. Older people and younger people, side by side, honoured and lifted up. And the use of language again, let me get to that in a second, but you know, the generations, like I said before, we are often at war with each other. We'll, we'll just make these flippant comments. We'll be like, oh, I'm just kidding, but OK, boomer, you know. Or, oh, OK, entitled millennials. You know, it's, it, it's flippant, but it speaks to what's underneath. Because right now, the research indicates that in, in your generation, if you're a millennial like me and everyone younger than me, or, or you're a Gen Z, you relate more to people of your age across the globe than you do of a different age in your country, in your city. Which means you can be sitting next to somebody Older or younger than you, and you just feel no connection. And when you feel no connection, you feel no empathy. When you feel no empathy, you feel no responsibility. And the church, friends, is about responsibility for one another. God's church is actually about a rich diversity of people gathered together. We don't get to say, yeah, these people and these people, but not those people. No, the kingdom of God does not work that way. And so this intergenerational vision Joel begins to give us cuts through these generational gaps and says, no, no, no. lift them up together, right? A rising tide raises all boats. We're all in this together. And the language, the language, friends, hear this. Usually when we talk about dreams and visions, this is what we do. We say, old men, I've got a plan for you. You're going to cast some vision. You've got all the experience. You've got all the wisdom. Get in the room. You're going to cast some vision for the church, for this organization. It's going to be great. Young men, good news. Good news, just forgive the exclusive language here, guys. This is just how Joel did this part. Young men, right, you get to dream what it'll be like when you're an old man. So dream big dreams, because someday you'll be old, and then we'll need you. So just stick around, hang there, hang tight for a while, and then later on we'll let you up to the visioning point. But these guys have got a vision, because they'll be dead soon, and they've got not much more to live for, really. And so let them vision, and you dream, and one day you'll be them, and great. Everyone will be happy, except, of course, women and children who are like, hi, here we are, yeah, great. (laughs) But in this, Joel switches it around. He says, let your old men dream dreams. Let your young men see visions. Well, here's what's interesting about that. To let a young person see vision, if you're older than that person, you probably have more experience. You might be able to do it better. You've actually got to lay down your own ego and give an opportunity in order to raise somebody else up who might be worse at this than you are right now. And for an older person to dream dreams, they have to be given space and encouragement and inspiration to believe that there are still dreams in their life to dream, because they get to a point in your life where you're tired. I got the privilege of preaching in another church this morning, and it was was great, and they were really engaged. And I, I just cast my eye across this one lady in the back row and I thought, oh, there's a a tired woman. There's there's somebody that needs the refreshment of the Holy Spirit. There's somebody who needs to know that there are still dreams to be dreamed in her life. And I believe what Joel is telling us is twofold. One is about the raising up of leaders. The other one is dreaming dreams we won't necessarily fulfill ourselves because a kingdom of God dream is not about you, friends. That's where solo discipleship gets smashed down. A kingdom of God dream is about what God is building throughout all creation. Through us, through you, through your neighbors, through your ancestors, through the ones that are still to come. And Jen and I talk about this all the time in that we are in a generation now, as people in our mid 30s, that we've got to look around and go, who can we raise up to lead right now? Like we can't we cannot afford to wait until we're 50. We cannot afford to wait until we're 60 because the church of God needs the people of God to be raised up into their call and sent out a mission immediately. The church of God has a call on it to reach the world with the good news of Jesus Christ, that you are saved by grace. You're justified by nothing else than the faith you place in Jesus, the love that he has that he's poured out for you. Everyone deserves to know this. You are loved. You are chosen. But somebody's got to go. And if we don't empower young people now... It's too late. It's too late. And the other thing we've got to wrestle with is this idea that what if we have to dream dreams that are so big that they're not for us, but they're for the next generation and the generation after that and the generation after that. What if the next person to lead this church isn't born yet and we've got to start dreaming dreams on their behalf? This is the sort of stuff we've got to wrestle with. Joel asks us to upend the status quo. Because the Spirit's doing a new thing. And so the people of Israel would have gone, sounds wild, Joel, a bit more worried about the locusts, but great, day of the Lord, great and terrible, sounds frightening. Fast forward about 600 years, Pentecost. A group of disciples, these shattered, scared young men are gathered in the upper room praying because frankly, they don't know what else to do. They have been part of this religious uprising, this revolution that has suddenly fallen down around them because their leader died. But then he was raised from the dead and then he told them to go to Jerusalem. Then he ascended into heaven and now they're just sort of here. Like, okay, well, it was the Jewish feast of weeks. So we're good Jews. We're gonna do what we do and pray. We're gonna trust in God. We're gonna pray to Jesus for God to do something powerful. And Jesus says, go to this upper room and wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. And then suddenly, whew, Down comes the Spirit, tongues of fire, extreme languages from all over the globe, speaking in in, in different tongues and drawing people in. It's the reverse of the Tower of Babel in Genesis. Instead of scattering people through language, this time it draws people in through language. And thousands gather and they say, what are you doing? And Peter, maybe the least likely church leader in history, present company excluded, gets up there and preaches a message of salvation that sees three thousand people joined the army of Christ in that day. The day of Pentecost comes and the day of the Lord comes in power. The Holy Spirit is unleashed on the world. And you and I are here because of that day and because of a word of prophecy given by Joel. And who who are the people stewarding that? Young men. Young men. What does that mean now though? Because we live in a post-Acts 2, post pentecost world. The Holy Spirit has been poured out on us already. We're not wondering where it is. It's here. There is another in the fire with us, but we now have the fire in us. That's where Pentecost lives. So what do we do with the fire of God? And more specifically, because, you know, I have a topic for the sermon. How do we bridge relational gaps with that? I'm going to give you, to give you three pieces of advice as, uh, as we finish up. Number one. Number one. I want you to build disciples at home. Build disciples at home. Every piece of intergenerational advice, every statistic, everything points to this one fact. If you want to grow people up in faith, get their parents grown up in faith. The parents are the number one discipler. I reckon it took me five years of bad use ministry to realise that I actually wasn't the person discipling these kids. It was the parents. And so we had to empower and grow parents. And if you're a parent in the room, or you aspire to be a parent, I hope this is, as Joel said, great and terrifying. It should be. It puts a big burden on us. And when they're babies, you're like, oh, yeah, this baby could be anything. As your kids start growing up, you're like, ooh, they look a little bit too much like me. I need to do something here. God, I need your help. And so we have to get intentional about that. Let me ask you a few questions here. Are you having a faith that is consistent at home and at church. So do you come to church and do one thing then go home and do another? We're about being real here at Encounter. We, don't, we got no time for that, okay? We, we want you to be authentic at home and at church, which means that if we need to help you with your burdens here at church, we would rather do that than have you be fake here and, and not, what's the opposite of not fake, real? That, at home. It's been a long day, it's good. <laughs> Second thing, can they see your faith by the way that you worship? Can they? Like, do you speak well of your church? Are you in and connected to a church? And do you speak well of it? Because this shapes your kids. Jenny and I, we talk all the time. You know, our, our, our church office is our home, it's all pretty integrated. You guys know that. And so we have to be so careful about how we speak about church and when even just coming home and going, oh, I'm so tired. You've got to be careful. Even the times when my kids come upstairs at three o'clock in the afternoon and go, can you play? Now, every other parent is at work. I happen to be at home and they're like, oh, you're saying no because you're at work. I have to be really careful about that because the perception they get is dad puts work above me. And so the language you use around church, the importance you place on it and your own personal relationship with it really deeply matters. There's an interesting statistic from a book called Sticky Faith, which we love and has been integral to how we set up our kids' ministry, that says this, there are no silver bullets in any kind of ministry with young people. But the closest we've found is that when they're in their high school and uni years, if they're regular attenders at church, that their faith will be long lasting. Now that seems too easy, and it is, but that's the closest thing they've found to a silver bullet. And the temptation can be to say, oh, that's too easy. Well, all we're saying is this, this is the closest thing we have to a silver bullet. A few other things. How do you use your finances? I'm not just talking about tithing, although I am talking about tithing. I'm also talking about how generous are you? Do, do you? do you strategically budget your finances, and do you bring your kids on that journey? Do you show them that you're giving part of it to the Lord? Do you show them that you're giving part of it away to charity? Do you teach them about generosity when they're young? What about the way you invite people into your home? How do you model generosity in that way, in having an open home? Or do you close the doors off with a no thanks, no coronavirus sticker on the front or something like that? What about the way you speak about Jesus? Do you speak about Jesus? Because here's the counter to my point about the church. The church is great, but if you're not speaking about Jesus being alive in your your life, it's it's not going to matter. They're just going to come to church and go, oh, I don't see what all the fuss was about. Mum and dad just go home every Sunday and do this, live the same way they've always been living. Can I tell you, we're not about that here. We're about transformation, yeah. we're about life transformation. Yeah. What about the way you engage with the Bible personally? Here's another one Who are you inviting into your home to be intentionally investing into your kids? Now I know a few people that have been doing that in Canada. It's so good. Our kids ministry sets this up on purpose to give parents a leg up. That's their kids workers. They have everybody that has at least one or two people that they deliberately sow into, and I see them turn up to our kids sporting events and write them cards on their birthday, and it's so meaningful because our kids see it. They know they're being invested in. They know it. So we've got to build disciples at home. Um, Fuller University research also indicates. That if you want a young person to grow in the faith, they need five significant adults sewing into their lives. Who is that for your child? Who have we intentionally pursued and said, Can you sew into my daughter, my son? All right. If all the research shows that parents are the most important discipleship factor, how are you living that out yourselves? How's your relationship with Jesus, right? That's what it comes down to. Let's push on. Here's the second one You build disciples at home, you build disciples at church. Now, this is where the rest of you come in. So if you're 20 and you've had your feet up at this point, this is where you come in. It is true that parents are the primary disciples. It's also true that if that's all we get, that's not going to be enough. Because young people need spaces like kids ministry. They need spaces like youth group. They need places where they know they can go and be with their peers, and their peers aren't going to try and get them to do something ridiculously stupid. But there's going to be these healthy boundaries. And actually, these peers are going to enter in relationships of Jesus of their own that are going to be inspiring and something that they look towards and go, I want what they've got. I want what my friend has here. That's how peer groups work. That's how enculturation and indoctrination works. We're all being indoctrinated towards something. Some of us want the new iPhone. We want our kids to have Jesus and to want Jesus, to crave that as something so important in their life. So let me say this outright please consider joining our kids' ministry. They are incredible. It is not a babysitting service. It is a discipleship ministry. Pieta and, the, and Jenny have really been like instrumental in setting this up and creating this culture, and we have an absolutely unbelievable team. But we need men in particular to put their hand up and say, there are young men. My sons are in this ministry. They need men who they can look up to, say, they're not dad, because sometimes they're just not going to want to hang out with dad. They're going to want somebody else that they can look up to and say, I want to be like them. I'll say, fantastic. That's what we need. If you're looking for a place to serve once a month in the kids ministry, honestly, it's not that hard. It is a joy. The relationships you build with these children, they will run to you and long to be in your company. It's it's magnetic. Please consider joining our kids ministry. It takes a village, guys. Honestly, I would say without our kids ministry, the rest of church is a bit of a waste of time. Like. I enjoy worship and creative ministry, but without a kid's ministry that we're investing into and discipling, forget about it. Like, because we're only gathered for about 10 years and then we're done, yeah. right? We need to be discipling the next generation now. And that means if you're 20 in the room, who are the 10-year-olds, the 8-year-olds, the 6-year-olds that you're looking at and going, how can I sow and invest into you yeah. now? The same way that people in their 30s, hint, hint are sowing into me. So kids and teenagers need peers around them. That's all good. They, they, they need that. Like I said, my kids notice when they're invested in. Um, and I, want, I just wanted to add, I want to encourage you that if you're not in kids ministry, maybe you're already doing a couple of different things. Let's, let's say Tommy. Tom's on, obviously on the creative team. He's an elder. He's doing sound and production every now and then. He's on Welcome. Like there, there are no weeks available for Tom to go on the kids team, right? He's doing a million different things. But... I see Tom all the time intentionally building relationships with our kids. Yeah. All the time. And they love him for it. He used to chase him around. What did, he what did they call you? The dragon? Yeah. He used to chase him around and pretend to be a dragon. And of course he looked like a fool, but like, that's the point. That's how you relate to kids. Yeah. That's how you do it. That's called intergenerational communication. When you get down to their level and say, I value like, how I look in the eyes of my peers less than you feeling valued and lifted up. Yeah. That's what... Christianity is all about. Christ has lifted us up. We do that with children. And, and two things there. I, I do know that we're in a, an era in which it's a bit dicey, sometimes for men to feel like they can approach and build friendships with children. Can I tell you, if you're in the open space of this community, can I please just give you permission to do that? If you're, I, I understand the awkwardness if you're, you know, away in a corner or whatever, don't, obviously don't do that. Be wise. Our leaders are police checked. But if you're in an open space like this, like, please invest in them. Learn their names. Learn what they're interested in. They, they're craving adults who will invest in them. They're craving it. It's so good. And, and talk about Jesus with them and you'll have the best conversations. Here's the third one. Look for mentoring relationships. Look for them. So we just talked about discipling at home and how critical that is. And we talked about discipling at church and how critical that is. But I want to encourage you to look for mentors in your own life. That's something that Jen and I both have. We have intentional ministry supervisors who are people who are a step ahead of us on the journey who we go to to speak into our lives, give us their wisdom and mentor and coach us. And then we have informal relationships with people who mentor and coach us as well. Let, let me flip the script here. We've got mostly people between 20 and 30 in encounter, right? right look around. You can, you can work it out, which is awesome. But we also have more people than you would think who are not in that demographic. And they are sitting here quietly, and they have gifts and skills that you want to tap into, but you don't even know. Somebody sometime needs to go up to Troy and ask him about his master's thesis. Just, just go to Troy, and if you don't know Troy, go and meet him, because he's here tonight, and I'm not going to point him out. You go find him. And ask him what his master's thesis is about, and you'll be fascinated. It's great. Somebody go up to Ashley, also here today, not going to point him out, and ask him about what it means to integrate faith and work and to think through that, because you're interested in that, and you don't know that other people are ahead of you on that journey. Somebody, Yasmin I don't think is here today, Somebody asked, is she? Oh, there she is. Oh, (laughs) She's put her own hand up. Somebody asked Yasmina about her Holy Spirit experiences and see how the Spirit falls regardless of age, regardless of situation. Somebody go and ask Beryl what it means to raise kids in the faith. Mostly good kids in the faith. Love you guys. Somebody, if you've heard anything tonight, Go chat to Mark and Ali Schultz about what it means to invest in kids ministry, regardless of your demographic, because quite frankly, they know all this stuff better than I do. They know all this stuff better than I do. Now, your faith and my faith has been built on the back of generations. In Hebrews, it talks about the Hall of Faith: by faith Moses, by faith Enoch, by faith Jacob, etc., etc., etc. And these, this is the legacy behind us. And then Paul, uh, not Paul, the writer of Hebrews says, because you're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses, by these faithful leaders that have gone before you, you're actually empowered to go on and have a faith of your own. But now you've got it, and it's your turn. Who are you investing in? And more, who are you allowing to invest into you? Can Can I tell you, if there was one really, let's say two really simple things I'd love to get out of this message. Number one, somebody sign up for kids ministry who's not expecting it. Not because we're desperate. We've got, we've got leaders. But we need more people to invest in children. And there is space for you to do it. Because it's growing by the grace of God. And the second thing is this. I would love more people to boldly walk across to somebody who's not of their generation and introduce themselves and have a conversation. Because there's this weird thing we do when we're like 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. We're like, oh, I'll let them come and say hello to me. I'm not against it, but I'm not, I'm not going over there. It's like, did you ever think maybe they're feeling the same thing? Sometimes they're new here, and they need you to reach out to them. So just think about that. Think about that. Listen, the end vision of intergenerational ministry is what Joel was talking about. It's the day of the Lord. And if this is unfamiliar language, and you're thinking, didn't the Holy Spirit come already? Well, yeah, the Holy Spirit did come already. Well, we're building to something that's still to come, but we don't call it the Day of the Lord necessarily anymore. We call it the Kingdom of God. We're building what Jesus started. It's a kingdom project. And it's not just about you and your friends. We gather in a group like this, in the midst of a coronavirus panic, on a Sunday afternoon when the weather's like just warm enough to send us dozing up to sleep. We gather in a room like this because the diversity of the church matters. And when you just huddle with four other people like you, they tell you things they want to hear. They don't correct your behaviours. You don't grow. You don't change. And the kingdom of God is about growth and about change. It's about taking what is broken and making it whole, taking what is old and making it new, restoring everything in Jesus' name. And it can happen, but it's going to take work. I want to just honour one thing in terms of intergenerational work. We launched this church with, I don't know, 25 people or something. And one of the first people to come on our team was Brant. Now, Reverend Brant Jones was the minister when we were when we were young bucks at Padere Uniting, now the Journey Uniting, I came to faith with Bryant as my minister. I've got to admit, for like six months, I didn't know he was the pastor because he was mostly empowering other young guys to preach and lead and do their thing. I was like, oh, Sim's dad, is he the minister? <laughs> and, uh, and, and we came to encounter and, and to this church planning project out of a failure. And part of that failure had been an intergenerational breakdown. That's not me condemning the other people of a different generation. There was just a distance. There was just a distance in communication that didn't quite land. And so for us, we probably stepped a little hurt away from that and a little hesitant. And that meant it was tougher to trust even somebody like Brian, who we knew and trusted already, when he came and said, I'd like to be a part of what you're doing. And honestly, I remember the first time he said something, I kind of went, oh, yeah cool. Well, yeah, we'll have to talk about that sometime. You know, that way you're like, we should catch up for coffee sometime. You don't want to catch up for coffee. Anyway. And Brian just quietly, gently, persistently was like, oh, look, yep, I'm basically an obsessive with church planning. I just just want to get involved. I want to to be around it. I just want to support you. And slowly but surely, he, he renewed this patience and grace and trust in us of people of a different generation. People that were older that would invest in us without asking anything from us, except how can I love you? How can I serve you? And can I be honest? I see a church filled with those people. I see a church filled with them. And most of you know who Brian is, not because he gets up on stage and preaches, but because he just wanders around and shuffles around. He's like, how you going there? Adelaide, what's going on this week? All right. And and it seems like he's not paying much attention or something like that, but he's picking everything up and he's investing in you and he's learning about you. And then he's calling me a few weeks later. He's like, hey, hey, uh, Adelaide was telling me about uni. I'm making it up, right? You're just in my line of sight. Sorry, Adelaide. But telling me about uni. Do you know, do you know if that's still going all right? I'm like, yeah, I, th- I didn't know about that. What do you mean about a uni? And so he tells me because he's going around asking these questions. He's investing in the next generation. We have a lot of people who are outside of that young adult demographic who are here in part because they want to invest in the next generation. They want to be a part of what you're doing. And you are richer because they are here. You are. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you're able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We'd love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.